1 Corinthians 11. Uh, we were in 1 Corinthians today for Sunday school as well, so it all kind of ties together as God often does. But uh, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, even the whole section uh, this morning, but I will ask you if you're able to stand with me one last time. We are just going to read verses 23 through 25 together. If you can't stand this morning, that's okay. Don't worry about that. But I want to read these verses and then we'll pray and get into the message. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Father, thank You for leaving us this symbolic way of remembering what You've done for us, and also to look forward to the time when we will sit before You again at the marriage supper of the Lamb and dine with You again eternally. Lord, thank You for the blessed hope that we have in Christ. And we pray for the one here today, Lord, that may not have that relationship yet, that you would open their eyes, that you would draw them unto yourself, and by faith they would receive the greatest gift that mankind has ever been offered. And uh, Lord, we praise you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said, today we get a chance to observe the second of what we often call in Baptist churches, the ordinances. If you grew up as I did in, in the Catholic church, you may have heard the word sacrament used. The Catholic Church has seven sacraments for the most part that they observe uh, throughout the life of a member or believer in that church. But we avoid the word sacrament simply because usually in the churches that coin that term, especially with the supper and even with baptism, it brings forth an idea, and even doctrinally they would teach, that to some degree... Something supernatural is happening to you as you partake. In the Mass, for example, in the Catholic Church, they teach a big word that you don't need to remember, but it's called transubstantiation, which basically means that the elements, the bread and the wine, actually become, again, the, the physical body and blood of Christ. So that in the Mass, you are, in a sense, repartaking in the death of Christ, and by Taking the supper yourself, you are receiving the body of Christ literally, which imparts grace and forgiveness to you. Now, just like I said last week with baptism, it is an act of obedience that should be carried out by every true believer. But no matter how many times I baptize you or anyone baptizes you, that cannot prepare your soul for heaven. What you did before baptism is what prepared your soul for heaven, and that is to receive Jesus Christ. And it's no different with the supper. What Jesus did on the cross and your faith in receiving that sacrificial death is what saved you. No matter how many times that you take of the supper, it can do nothing to cleanse you of sin. For a Baptist, and I believe for a biblical Christian, we observe the supper in a symbolic sense. That doesn't lessen its meaning or value in any way, shape, or form. Because if we are honestly recalling to mind what the Lord Jesus did for us, how can that be commonplace? 
How could that be routine? The cross should never get old to us. We should never forget the love, the mercy, the grace, and the justice. All that took place on the cross. For you. For you. Yes, I said for you. Not just for you, but specifically for you. For if there were no one else in this room and it was just you today, this message would still be just as relevant. Because Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And you qualify in that area. And so do I. And I'm so glad today that He is a Savior able to forgive the worst of the worst. And no one is too good to pass by that offer and say, I'll try it my way. But many do. Many believe they're good enough that they can make it on their own. And sadly, if they die in that place, they'll find, just like the old hymn says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I pray that that has been applied to you today. And if not, it can be. So I want to look at this text for just a moment today before we actually take the supper. And I want to try to bring out a few points just like we did last week. Number one, I want to ask us a question, and that is why, why do we do this? Why did Jesus feel it necessary shortly before he is going to go to the cross shortly before he's going to die imagine this if you had if you knew that you only had a few hours or even a day left to live who would you talk to what conversations would you have what would you say where would you go what would you do and yet jesus knew that his time was drawing near to an end at least in the earthly sense of his ministry he knew that the cross was right around the corner And so this teaching comes right on the heels of that event. Jesus felt it important enough that in those last hours to celebrate the Passover supper with his disciples, but to institute a greater supper. In the Old Testament, it was a lamb that was sacrificed over and over and over again on the 14th day of the first month. They would do this ceremony over and over. And the writer of Hebrews says the blood of bulls and goats could never fully atone for sin. It was an ongoing thing. Because guess what, guys? We never fully and completely, this side of glory, stop sinning. Can you imagine what it would be like if every Sunday the doors were open and you had to march in here with your animals, with your offerings, and we had an altar up here in the sense that we were sacrificing Animals like in the Old Testament? Can you imagine what that would be like? And yet God had a plan from eternity past that there would be one final Lamb, the Lamb of God, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the final, complete, and perfect sacrifice for sin. That's why the Old Testament was fulfilled in Him. We don't observe the Passover anymore. We're not looking forward to a Savior. We have a Savior. We serve a living Savior. He is alive. And His name is Jesus. And so in verse 25, Jesus is giving them this to observe, to remember, because He's going away. And He's been gone away for 2,000 years now, preparing a place for His people. And the time is drawing near where just as He said, if I go to prepare a place, I will come again. And we don't know when that time is, but I believe the clock is drawing very close to an end. And if it comes in our lifetime, we will have the glorious experience of being caught up to meet the Lord together in the air with those that have gone on before us. He said in verse 25, speaking through the inspiration of the Spirit to the Apostle Paul, in the same way, 
uh, he says, I, they took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now listen to what he says at the end of this. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 9, we see very similar language. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this, why? In remembrance of me. The word remembrance means to recall something, to bring it back to your mind. Jesus doesn't say, as often as you take this, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, as often as you do this, grace is imparted to you. He simply says that when we take this supper, and you'll understand when my body is broken and my blood is poured out before you on the cross, every time that you gather together and we take the supper, think back to Calvary. Remember what I did. Remember why I did it. Remember that it was for you that I did it. I gave my life willingly. Jesus said, no man taketh my life from me. I have the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up again. He gave that great sacrifice willingly. In obedience to the Father and out of love for His creation. He would come and do that for us. It's a symbolic act. That's what we are doing this morning is remembering. The supper is for believers as was baptism so is the supper. Because only true born-again believers have experienced what Phyllis sung about. The life-changing power of the gospel. It changes people from the inside out. The power of the Holy Spirit in us enables us to live lives pleasing to God. Yes, we sin. Yes, we fall short. But yes, we have a Savior that covers those things. Yes, we have an intercessor and an advocate that pleads His blood on our behalf. What good news we have today, church, to remember. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ would come, he speaks of the fact that there would be one that would come. The root of Jesse, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He would come. And long before Jesus fulfilled that literally, in Isaiah 53, 5, the prophet writes, But He was pierced, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by His wounds, listen to this, by His wounds, we are healed. Not physically in that sense are we healed, but spiritually of the disease that we had, of the corrupt heart that could not be changed. Christ comes inside and He changes us. And He makes us new. He makes us accepted. He adopts us into His family. He calls us by name. The Bible says that our names are engraved in the palms of His hands. We are loved and we are known, church. What a glorious truth. And that's why we take the supper today. To remember what Jesus did for us. I was thinking about that this week. And trying to, trying to imagine what it must have been like that day. To stand around the cross. And see the one that they had loved. The one that they had followed. The one that they had given up everything for. Be treated the way that he was treated. He didn't deserve any of that. He was not guilty. 
There was no sin in Christ. And yet again, for us, He became sin who knew no sin. That we, believers, might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It was because we have a debt that we couldn't pay. And Christ has riches that cannot be exhausted. That He would come and pay that debt and continue to credit into our account His righteousness. You say sometimes, you might think to yourself, the enemy whispers in your ear, boy, as a believer, you blew it. How could you ever call yourself a Christian? You, couldn't, you shouldn't go to church this week after the way you've acted. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't serve. You shouldn't answer the call to do this or do that right now because your life's not where it needs to be. And while, yes, we need to strive to be holy and repent and try to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm glad that His blood continues to forgive us, that His mercy doesn't have an expiration date, that His love and His patience doesn't run out on us. I'm so grateful for that. And I thought so much about Calvary this week. And I thought, what better way to worship God through the preaching of His Word, yes, but also through song. We've, we've heard some wonderful songs today. But I felt like to draw our minds back to the cross, to remember what Jesus did. There's so many great hymns about the cross. But one that I hadn't heard us do in a while, and one that was on my heart, was simply a song called Down at the Cross. We don't have any music this morning, and that's okay. You just have to put up with me. But we're going to have the words on the screen. And I'd like us to just lift up our voices together without the music and think about what we're saying. Think about the cross, what Jesus did for us. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where for cleansing from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. I am so wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within. There at the cross where He took me in. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. O precious fountain that saves from sin, I am so glad I have entered in. There Jesus saves me and keeps me clean. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory 
to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Come to this fountain so rich and sweet. Cast thy poor soul at the Savior's feet. Plunge in today and be made complete. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Amen. There's just something special about God's people lifting up their voices to Him. We do this to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then Paul goes on in verse 26, and he tells us this. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Notice, he says, as often as you do this. There's no specific timetable given. Most churches like us observe it quarterly. Other churches do it weekly. There's no right or wrong answer as to the frequency. I believe that in one sense, if we do it too often, perhaps it becomes commonplace like everything else. And if we relegate it to just a little addition at the end of the service, it can also lose its value and purpose. And so I think we need to do things to make sure that it's always understood how blessed we are to be able to do this and how important it is that we do it. But as far as the timetable to it, that's an argument that can't really be made necessarily from Scripture as to how often. But Paul does tell us some things about the supper. And in verse 26, he says that as we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death. As we take this today, not only are we remembering what Jesus did for us, but we are testifying of what He can do for you. Because there are many today, perhaps watching online, perhaps here in this room, perhaps people that we will encounter this week, who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior who have no real saving faith and no true relationship with Him. And as we take this, we remember what Jesus did for us, but we remember the Gospel and the call that we have to take that good news out into the world. Because Jesus still saves, folks. Don't listen to what the world says, that the church is dead and faith doesn't matter anymore. Jesus is much alive today as He was 2,000 years ago. The Gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. And we still have a duty and a calling to take that good news out into a lost and dying world. And so I'm so thankful that He would entrust that to us to do it. So that leads us finally to, I kind of touched on this already, but who should take the supper? Well, obviously we know that believers, because He left this for the church, and the only people that are members of the true body of Christ are believers. You can fool the pastor, you can fool the congregation. Many people come, make professions of faith, get baptized, have a Bible with their name on it, and do not know Jesus. You can fool people, but the Holy Spirit has never once been deceived. God knows every single person that is truly His. And so, as part of that church, the body of believers of all time, the universal church, if you will, we are able to know 
that Christ will not fail to bring all of His people into glory. So let me skip ahead a little bit in these verses that we didn't read, and I'll read to you verses 27 to 29. Because Paul says something here that may concern you as a believer in taking the supper today. He says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Many times we read those words and we think, oh my, I better not take the supper. Because Paul said that we have to be worthy. And I'm certainly not worthy. Well, listen, if you're waiting to be worthy to do anything for the Lord Jesus, you're going to be waiting a long time. There, there, there would not be any preachers, there would not be any deacons, not be any Sunday school teachers, not be any real local churches if we were honest. Because none of us are worthy to do this. It's Jesus that makes us worthy. It's His life and His righteousness, not mine. If, it, if there's any part of Chris in any of this equation, we're in trouble. It's got to be Him and Him alone. And the same goes for you. So, Paul is obviously not saying that we have to work to a certain place to where then we are worthy to take this. Because we are remembering Jesus' finished work, not ours. So that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that there is a standard of holiness that believers are called to live to. We're not under the law, but the law is now written on our hearts. We have Jesus as our Savior. And so we strive to fulfill the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and our neighbors as ourselves. And if we do that, we fulfill all of the law. And just doing those two things is awful difficult sometimes. It's hard to love God with all of our being, and it's hard to love our neighbors. Because who is our neighbor? Everybody. The people that we don't like, the enemies, the people that don't like us, people that aren't like us, don't look like us, act like us, talk like us, they're still our neighbors. It's easy to love people that love you back. It's easy to love people that are lovable. But there's a lot of unlovable people in this world. Sometimes it's us, right? And so we still, we want loved, and we're called to show that love. So when he says that they were eating unworthy, the church in Corinth had turned this into nothing more than a big feast. Remember, this were a lot of Gentiles, and they had come out of pagan backgrounds where they worshipped uh, false gods, and much of that false religion involved getting drunk, drinking, and having a big feast, and all kinds of sexual immorality, and they were basically turning the Lord's Supper into just a big smorgasbord, just going all out and getting drunk with the, off the wine and everything else. And so they had turned this thing into something fleshly, sinful, worldly. And Paul says, because of the way that you partake in this thing, you are drinking and eating judgment on yourselves. So he does tell them, and he tells us, I believe, too, that we need to, in fact, examine ourselves. That's why we stop so many times throughout the service and allow you an opportunity to listen to the Spirit. We do the verse of confession at the beginning, giving you a chance to pray, to examine yourself, to confess any sin before the message. And then at the conclusion, we give an altar call and an invitation to again come and examine yourself. And so these are times to confess sin, to repent of sin, to ask God through Christ Jesus alone to cleanse you. It's not coming up here and saying, well, next time we have the supper, Lord, when I come back, I'm going to be a lot better person and I'll take it next time. If you're going off that, you're in trouble because you're going to blow it again and again. 
preparing your heart to do anything for Jesus comes through humility and submission and surrender. Saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. I can't do this in my own strength, but forgive me and use me. As feeble and weak and sinful as I am, use me. I want to take the supper today. I want to remember what you did for me. And if there's any sin in my life, cleanse me and help me to see it for what it is and get rid of it. That's, that's what Paul is saying. Prepare our hearts. Not make yourself worthy first. You'll never be worthy. Because the Bible only gives one way of doing that. And that's through confession and repentance. It's not by works, but by grace, through faith. I'm going to give you two scriptures and we'll close. 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9. John is writing again to believers here. And he first says to them, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Again, the charge and people, unbelievers often think, I, I can't come to church because everybody in there is perfect and this and that and the other thing. And if I came into church, the walls would fall down and yada, yada, yada. If they only knew. If they only knew. Saved, yes. Forgiven, yes. Perfect, not a chance. No, we're not. And so the Bible itself says, if we're, saying, if we're walking around in arrogance saying, well, I've arrived. I got this all figured out. Sin doesn't bother me anymore. My flesh doesn't have a hold on me anymore. I'd sure like to know your secret. Because we struggle still. But listen to what the next verse says. If we confess our sins, He, notice that, He, not the pastor, not your neighbor, He, Lord Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. All. All of our unrighteousness. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, as Peter is preaching, we find these words that he says, Repent. Repent. Repentance is the Greek word metaneo. means a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's, it's, it's that feeling you get when you're out on the interstate and you're looking for your exit and all of a sudden you say, there it went. There it went. And all you can do is drive on up to the next one, get off, turn around. And that's exactly what repentance is. You're heading in the wrong direction. You're heading away from Jesus and you're following the things of the world. You're living in sin and Jesus is over here saying, come to me. Come to me and be forgiven. And repentance says, you know what? God's right and I'm wrong. God's way is right and my way is wrong. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to take the exit ramp and I'm going to turn around and come back to the cross. I'm going to come back to Jesus and be forgiven. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So today we're going to observe this supper. And as a believer, you have the privilege to remember what Jesus did for you. And if you're there today and you think, well, man, I've still got this in my life, that in my life, deal with it. Confess it. Repent of it. And then by faith, trust that Jesus Christ is mighty enough to forgive your sin. Because often we think He forgives everybody else, but not us. Often we think He loves everybody else, but not us. And like I told you when we started... If you were the only one here today, the Bible would still say the same thing to you and I would preach the same message to you. Your sin is not too great for the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive. 
your life is valuable to Jesus because He came and gave His in your place. Therefore, rejoice in the Savior that loves you. Remember what He did for you today. And let go of the guilt and let go of the shame and let go of the condemnation and walk in joy. This is a celebration of thanksgiving. It's a solemn time, no doubt, to remember what Jesus did for us. But He's not still hanging on the cross, church. The tomb is empty. And at the right hand of the Father, He's seated right now. And at God's command, He will come again. So we rejoice today. This is a solemn time, a reverent time, but it is a time of rejoicing that Jesus would do this for us and that He will come again for His people. And so I'm going to ask Phyllis and Tiffany to come and we're going to sing a song of invitation. This is an opportunity. If you need to come to the altar and confess, if you'd like me to pray with you, I can't forgive your sin, but I can certainly pray with you and for you. And most of all, if you're lost, today is the day.